Hello mech fans and welcome to the Valhalla Club. Grab a fusionaire and join us as we talk Battletech and the latest happenings around the Colorado Battletech community. Alright everybody, welcome to our first Road to War episode. This episode we will be going over the liberation of Black Earth from the Jade Falcons. This is a custom classic hexless scenario that is being put on by the Colorado Battletech players and is being hosted at Inconceivable Games located in Castle Rock, Colorado at 5050 Factory Shops Boulevard, Castle Rock, Colorado 80108. And we have received some wonderful prize sponsorship from uh, Ares Games and Miniatures that will be part of the prize package for the players that uh, choose to attend. Anyway, let's jump on into this. So in April of 3050, Clan Jade Falcon invaded Black Earth as a part of the second wave of Operation Revival. The entire Gro Falcon galaxy was dispatched to conquer the world of Black Earth, which was defended by those survivors of both the first Grave Walkers and the 16th Sky Rangers who managed to escape from earlier Falcon attacks. At the Black Earth spaceport, the Jade Falcon Aerospace Contingent surprised its 17th Sky counterparts while they were still on the ground, although in a show of fairness, the Falcon Aerospace Commander allowed the enemy pilots to get in their fighters and take off before being destroyed. When the ground attack against the Sky Port began, the 17th Sky managed to resist for a little over an hour against the Jade Falcons before being overrun. At New Houston, the Gravewalkers set fire to the oil at one of the refineries in hopes of using the resulting black smoke to screen their forces, only to learn that such a trick was useless against the superior technology of the clans. Reminder, this is in the early clan invasion days of 3050. From opening shot to the defenders' final surrender, the battle for Black Earth took less than 30 hours. For this event, the year is now 3057. The population of Black Earth has lived under the control of Clan Jade Falcon for eight years. While not overly repressive, the common populace does not hold any love or hate for their new masters. For them, life has simply continued with new rules. The local militia was disbanded and all weapons of war are firmly under the control of the clan. There was token resistance for the first year or two of the occupation, but the people adjusted to the new reality and found the Trueborns would leave them alone if they stayed out of the way. The Freeborn cast assigned the people jobs and repaired the industry of the world and built the starport into a supply depot for rotating arms and equipment to the front lines in preparation for the coming conflict with Clan Wolf. The planetary garrison of the planet is the Jade Falcon Delta Galaxy Gear Falcons led by Star Colonel Davina Gooley. The 8th Talon Cluster is currently preparing to transition to Butler. The majority of the Delta Galaxy has already made the transit, and the remaining clan warriors steadfastly guard the planet. The FedCom Intelligence Service has identified the movement of the Falcons and dispatched Hopman General Donna Iona and the 22nd Avalon Hussars with the mandate to bolster their ranks with available mercenary commanders to attack Black Earth and take the planet along with the stockpiles located at the starport. Having assembled the strike force, 
Hopman General Donna Iona prepares to make Planetfall. This is the story of that battle. So the event detail and structure. Uh, this event will be using the hexless conversion rules, also known as the miniature rules back from the fan pro days. Each player will prepare a Jade Falcon and Inner Sphere list for the game day. Players will be assigned to either Jade Falcon or Coalition Forces the morning of the event. In the event of an odd number of players, TOs will join a side to even out the event. This event has been made possible by contributions from our Patreon donors, and those donations have gone to the prize support. We also have tables available for classic side games for those who cannot make the entire day. For our schedule, we're looking at a check-in of 10 a.m. with the first round starting at 11 a.m. Uh, we will begin round two at 2 p.m. And then the final round begins at 5 p.m. So for the forces in this event, we have the Jade Falcon Delta Galaxy and then a mercenary and house coalition of Fedcom, Mercenary, Rossahog Republic, and the Kelhounds. So during the event, uh, each side will have a assigned commander, and each of these commanders has a specific mech that has been painted by a local player. Uh, the clan side is Star Colonel Divinia Guli, Jade Falcon, Gry Falcon, 89th Strike Cluster Garrison Force, and she is running a Summoner D and has the special pilot ability of Tactical Genius. Now, what this is going to do is when she's on the field, it's going to allow that player to re-roll their initiative. On the Inner Sphere side, we have Hopman General Donna Iona of the 22nd Avalon Hussars and Mercenary Command. Her mech will be a Nightstar 9J with the special pilot ability of Bloodstalker. Now, Bloodstalker allows the player controlling that mech to assign uh, General Iona a specific target that will give her a negative one to hit that target. However, if the player uses this ability, that negative one turns into a plus two against any other target that she's going against. Now, these commanders will be randomly assigned to the battlefield in games two and three. And there's not a specific time when these commanders are going to show up on the field. So they won't be there at the very beginning of your match, but they might just show up on your table as things go on. These units will be additional to the BV available to the player to build a force from. The command unit will give the player a plus one to the initiative roll each round for the morale boost to that player's forces. However, if the command unit is destroyed or the commander is killed, then the entire team receives a negative one initiative to the rest of the day. This event is essentially a campaign in a day with three games. Uh, players will be taking on the role of either the Jade Falcon Star Commander. Players will be taking on a role of a Jade Falcon Star Commander or an Inner Sphere Company Commander. Each game will deplete the player's forces and there will be a small amount of resources available after each game to make repairs, but the players will have to be very mindful of overcommitting and losing a battle and risk losing the planet by not having enough forces available for the final engagement. 
Scenario progress will be determined by the performance of the each side as a whole. So no individual player is going to control the outcome completely. At the end of an engagement, the objective points for each game will be tallied, and the side with the most points will be declared the winner of the round. Ties will be decided by battle value destroyed. The following game will be then set up based on the winner of the previous game. So what that means for you as players is that while you as an individual player may win your game and you may crush the enemy, if all of the other players playing on your side, Intersphere or Jade Falcon, lose, then your victory does not translate into a victory for the whole team. All right, the setup. So each game is going to be played on a 36-inch by 42-inch play area, subject to modification based on what we have available for play mats. The games will represent the progressive invasion of the planet Black Earth and the assault on Augusta Base. Intersphere dropships will be grounding on the Ashoski Plains and begin pushing forces to the garrison. Game 1. 2 hours, 33% of each player's total battle value, 4000 BV, will be on the field. This first game will involve light hills, canyons with sparse patches of trees, uh, level 1 and level 2 terrain only. Game 2 will be a 2.5 hour game with 45% of the player's total force, about 5400 BV. This will be hills and towns, small medium buildings, level 1 terrain, and up to level 3 buildings. Game 3 will be a no holds barred, this is the final push, 50% of your BV, 6000 BV, will be on the field. You will either be fighting for the starport, or you will be fighting to not get pushed off the planet and break the clan once and for all. So when we're talking about this event, the flow of the game is going to be very important. Uh, players should arrive with two lists, as we said earlier, one for Jade Falcon and one for the Intersphere faction of their choice that is available, like we talked about earlier, which would be the Fedcoms, the Rasselhog Republic, Mercenaries, and Kelhounds. Uh, the TOs will assign players to teams, and they will make sure that the teams are even. If that means a TO has to play, they will. If not, then the TOs will you know, take over as the full-time TOs. In each round, the team with the most objective points at the end of the round will determine the next step within the campaign. SP points will be awarded based on individual wins and losses. So even though your individual win or loss will have some effect on the team as a whole, your win or loss will affect how many support points you get to repair your forces. Once the games are complete, players will report back to the uh, TOs with the amount of battle value they have destroyed, and they will spend their SP and repair points and prepare for the next round while the TOs uh, reset the tables and get ready for the next game. Force composition. Each player will bring forces of 12,000 battle values per sides. Pilots and crews will be a minimum of four gunnery and five piloting with no more than a two-point separation between the two skills. For example, a three gunnery and five pilot is acceptable, but a two gunnery and five pilot is not. Players may buy down to a maximum of one gunnery and two piloting for the corresponding BV in the master unit list. However, players may not exceed the maximum battle value per game. Use increases in skills wisely. For an Intersphere player, 
you are limited to a maximum of 12 mechs and ground units, up to 5 battle armor, and no more than 2 VTOLs and widges. The allowed faction, as we said before, is Fedcom, Mercenary, Rosselhog Republic, and Kellhounds. The army construction limitations are going to be two chassis variants for all units, no named variants, and no experimental tech. For clan players, there is no unit number restriction for mechs, VTOLs, and vehicles. However, the player must not have more battle armor than the combined number of mechs and vehicles. A player that has three mechs and two vehicles may have five battle armor in their list. The only allowed faction for the clan players is going to be Jade Falcon. For the unit limitations, you are only allowed one chassis variant for all mechs, two chassis variants for all other units, vehicles, VTOLs, battle armor, and infantry. No named variants, no experimental tech. For the chassis variants, it's very important that all the players make sure that their armies are legal. So what the chassis variant limitations mean is that you cannot have the same chassis variant. So if you have an awesome 8Q, that is the only awesome 8Q you can bring. You can bring an awesome 8R, but you cannot have two 8Qs. Clans, on the other hand, may only take one chassis for each mech, so it's not really that big of a deal for them. If they want to have a Timberwolf, then that's the only Timberwolf they can have in their entire army. All their units will adhere to the two-variant limit. All right, and then on to the fun part, restricted units and abilities. Here's the list of what you can't bring. Aerospace units, mine layers, or any unit with the ability to lay mines. Support units, all thunder munitions, bombs, artillery, and land air mechs. That's it. Everything else is pretty much good to go. If you have a question, please reach out to one of the event organizers. They'll be able to answer it for you. For alternate ammunitions, since the Total Warfare rulebook is the only rulebook we'll be using for this event, and the game is set in 3057, the following alternate ammo is available based on that timeline and availability. Artemis, Cluster, Fragmentation Missiles, Infernos, NARC, and Semi-Guided Missiles. If a player is going to use alternate ammunition, they must write that ammunition on their record sheet in pen. So it, once it's in your mech, that's it. You can't swap it out. So be mindful if you're going to bring any of these alternate ammunitions that are not already assigned to your mech. Uh, however, one note for Artemis missiles, if the mech is not already loaded with an Artemis 5 fire control system, you can't load Artemis missiles, so you'll just be wasting tonnage and you'll have to scratch things out on your paper, so please don't do that. All right, couple of game day clarifications so that everybody is on the same page. Rulebooks in play, Total Warfare. I know there are a lot of manuals out there for classic, Total War is the only one that we will be using, and we will use the most current published errata. Uh, tech manual and battle mech manuals may be referenced, but the rule must be in Total Warfare to be applicable in the game. All right, one caveat to the rulebooks in play. We did use the special pilot abilities out of the campaign ops manual, so if you're interested in special pilot abilities, that's where you go find them. All right, concessions. If a player concedes the battle, the player may request a gira of the opposing player. Clan forces will accept the conditions of the battle and allow the IS player to leave the field uncontested. IS players may choose 
to accept or decline the offered terms. If a player chooses to decline the battle, if the player chooses to decline, the battle will continue until time or full resolution of the game objectives. Forced withdrawal. Forced withdrawal rules will not be in, enforced. Players must make their own determination on when a unit leaves the battle. Remember, you only have 12k BV for all three games. The total BV of all the battles during the day is 15.5 BV. Players will have to choose wisely or risk not having enough forces to mount an effective battle at the end of the day. Exiting the board. If a player decides to have a unit leave the battle, that unit will end its movement at the edge of the battlefield and stop. The unit will get the modifiers for its intended total movement, but will not physically leave the board until the end phase. So, your assault mech is trashed. You want to get it off the table, you can move it to the edge of the table, you can declare you are moving your entire movement, you can get that modifier, but that mech will be there until the end of the game, or until the end of the turn and it can still take fire until that end phase hits and it leaves the battle. There's no riding the edge of the board in this game and then skipping out just before, the, just before you think it's going to die. You're going to have to make that choice. Forests. To gain the benefit from firing from a woods terrain, the miniature must be completely inside the terrain template. All woods terrain is considered light woods for the day. Woods modifiers will be measured in two inch increments. Increments below two inches, but more than a half inch, will be considered a full two inch of woods for target modifiers. It should be noted as well that the uh, first two inches from a unit inside the woods is considered occupied terrain, much like an Alpha Strike. So if you are one inch away from the edge of woods and are shooting out, the woods do not penalize you uh, because the first two inches from your base is occupied. So you don't have the penalty of the woods, but there's the penalty from your opponent shooting at you. All right, and for game uh, reference maps that are in the uh, event document, uh, the game maps are approximations of how the boards will be set up. They should not be considered 100% reliable representation of what you'll see on game day. Each board will have slightly different configurations, and those will be at the discretion of the TOs to keep things interesting and fun for the whole day. Uh, buildings. Non-objective buildings will be treated as solid objects. Infantry may not occupy the buildings, and the buildings may not be destroyed. Now, these are only non-objective buildings. In the event of a charge attack, if the direction of the charge is into a non-objective building, the effects of being charged into a building of CF20 will be applied. Objective buildings will have CF values assigned in each scenario that applies. Uh, BV separation percentages. Most matches have separate deployment zones with a percentage of battle value being deployed each. Players must separate their forces to match those separation percentages as closely as possible and then deploy those forces into the appropriate zones. So what that, what that means is if you have a 60-40 split for your deployment zone, the 
part of your force that is closest to 60% will deploy to that 60% zone. The other 40% will deploy to the 40% zone. Because battle value is not going to cut as cleanly as 60-40, we'll just be doing our best. Okay, so for game one, the title of the scenario is A Quiet Place. This game will be played with 4,000 BV per side, as mentioned earlier. Uh, and the background for the scenario, the early warning sensors network is just outside of the drop zone on the Ahoski Plains, between the Intersphere forces and the spaceport. This sensor network is vital to the command and control of Falcon forces. It must be destroyed for the invasion force to move forward. Clan forces are on constant control of the area. As a result, the clan deployment zone, who is the defender in this case, will deploy into two separate deployment zones. Deployment zone 1 lies on their home edge, and deployment zone 2 is somewhere in the middle of the board. The rules will be in the rulebook uh, for this event. Deployment zone 1 will consist of 50-60% to 60 of the battle value for the clan player, Deployment zone two will consist of uh, 40 to 50% uh, of their battle value. The Intersphere forces will all deploy on the home edge. The objectives in this scenario are four sensor towers and one generator. Each sensor tower is worth one objective point, whereas the generator is worth two objective points. Each sensor tower is has a uh, construction value or CF factor of 20, and the generator has a CF value of 35. As for the victory conditions, it is the clan player's objective to defend these vital assets, and it is the Intersphere player's objective to destroy these assets. As a result, at the end of the two hours, uh, the individual with the most objective points at the end of time uh, is is the winner of this scenario. The winner will earn 125 support points, and the loser of this scenario will earn 75 support points. In addition to the main objective, your secondary objective is called the Media War, which is worth 25 support points. A media team will be placed midway on the battlefield, so in the center of the board on on either the left or right side, uh, and they will be conducting field reporting of the battle. Players may move within six inches of the team to in order to control the media team. The player who loses initiative will control the movement of the vehicle, that is the media team. The vehicle must remain within six inches of a player unit to control it. If both players contest control of the media van, it does not move. The vehicle may be attacked, but the player who destroys the vehicle will lose 10 support points. In order to win the additional 25 SP, you have to remain in control of the media team at the end of the scenario. And going back to... so. As we all know, clan forces are quite expensive in terms of battle value. As a result, if a clan player can only field two units, then one will be placed in each deployment zone. The more expensive uh, one will be deployed in zone one. If a clan player only brings one unit, 
then that unit must be deployed in zone two and be on patrol. And that's roughly the center of the battlefield for this scenario. All right. So depending on the outcome of game one, whether it is a total clan victory or it is an overall IS victory, will determine which scenario you're going to play in game two. Game two is the counterattack if the clan wins or the command and control scenario with an IS victory. Each game will be played with 4.5 thousand BV per side. Well, first we'll go over the counterattack scenario, which is the clan victory. After an opening defeat, the coalition forces have pulled back, regrouped, and launched a flanking attack on the starport. However, the Falcon forces have intercepted the maneuver before they could reach the port. Forces of the inner sphere must push through the clan lines of defenders. The Falcon warriors must keep the column from breaking through. This will be a heavy firefight, and rumor is the clan commander and the inner sphere commander will take the field during this battle. For the clan, all forces must be deployed on their home edge. For inner sphere forces, the inner sphere has been forced out of position and are reacting to the contact with the clan forces. 60% of your battle value must be deployed to zone 1, which is near the home edge of the inner sphere forces, and 40% must be deployed uh, to zone 2, which is farther forward. This scenario will have a water obstacle that spans the entire length of the board, and bridges will be in place to uh, allow units to easily cross. Bridges are flat structures that do not offer partial cover, and each are at level 0. Each bridge has a CF factor of 130. The bridges are in poor repair and will fail if too much weight occupies each one. If a bridge collapses from damage while a unit occupies that terrain, that unit will take the equivalent damage of a level 1 fall into water. All water on the map is depth 1. Counterattack victory conditions. This match is a power struggle, pure and simple. The IS player must reach and exit the opposing edge. Falcon forces must stop them. The winner will be determined by the amount of ISBV that exits the table through the clan player's edge. Alright, as stated above, the, each player's forces will consist of 45% of that player's total battle value, which is 5400 BV. Units fielded during the prior games are available for use, even if they are damaged. This is where your support points come into play, and we'll get to that a little later on. Uh, reference page 5 for the exiting board conditions, and there will be at least one depth zero land bridge per map to facilitate vehicle and mech movement over the water obstacle in the event that all three bridges are destroyed. All right, the second side of this scenario is if the inner sphere player wins and we move on to the command and control scenario. The IS forces have destroyed the early warning system and are pushing toward the starport. Ahead of them is the civilian outskirts of the city. Past the civilian buildings lie the command and control center for clan operations. These centers must be destroyed in order to degrade uh, in order to degrade the Falcon's ability to efficiently deploy a defense for the starport. All right, for the, in this scenario, the inner sphere forces must be deployed on their home edge. Uh, for the clan forces, 
Falcon forces have been forced into a defensive position and are reacting to the IS assault force advance. 60% of the battle value must be deployed to Zone 1, and up to 40% must be deployed to Zone 2. For victory conditions, the IS player must knock out the command centers in order to disrupt the command and control ability of the Falcons. The Falcons must protect these buildings at all costs to prevent IS forces from advancing to the starport. Uh, just like our previous scenario, uh, the objective points in this case are the command centers. The clan player will win objective points by protecting them. The IS player will win objective points by destroying them. Each of the command centers is a CF-50 building, so it's going to take some time to knock these out. In the event that there is a tie, then the player with the most remaining BV wins. Uh, further ties will be decided in a roll-off uh, of 2d6, highest roll wins. For SP in this scenario, uh, victory for the player will result in them gaining 200 SP, and a loss will net the player 100 SP. Uh, again, we have an additional SP opportunity in this game. There is a protect the civilians for 30 SP. A civilian convoy of two vehicles will cross a field from left to right on the midway point of the map. Uh, players will attempt to control and rescue these civilians. Convoy vehicles will attempt the most direct route to exit the, the board on the opposite edge. The player who loses initiative will control the movement of the convoy if they are not controlled by an individual player. The vehicles will move 10 inches per turn, and if a player is within 6 inches of the vehicles, they will control the movement of each vehicle. These vehicles only have 10 hit points. If multiple players are within 6 inches, the player with the most battle value will gain control. If no player controls the vehicles, then the vehicles will move toward the opposite edge using the most direct path possible. To gain the objective, the player must control the vehicle at the end of the game or escort it to their home edge. If a player destroys a convoy vehicle, they will lose 15 SP off their total SP gains at the end of this scenario. Okay, and then for game three, which is the last game of the day, therefore called the end game, uh, this scenario will consist of 6,000 BV per side. The, the final battle of this planet's fate is here. The Inner Sphere has either pushed the Jade Falcons back to the starport, or the Inner Sphere forces have been pushed back to their dropship landing zone. Uh, for both forces, this is an all-or-nothing engagement. The planet will be won or lost based on the outcome of this battle. So if the clan won game two, all clan forces will be deployed on their home edge. Whereas inner sphere forces and coalition forces, they have been forced into a retreat and have been spread out by the clan counterattack. 60% of their 6,000 battle value will be deployed into zone one. And 40% of the 6,000 battle value will be deployed into zone two. If the Inner Sphere won Game 2, all their forces will be deployed on their home edge, and the clan forces who have been pushed back to the starport will be deployed within uh, their zone, which centers generally around the starport. There will be various hangars and storage warehouses at the starport. Under each building will be a colored 
blue or red token. The clan player is allowed to look under each building prior to the game. Red dots or red uh, tokens indicate an ammunition warehouse. Blue tokens are inert hangars or empty buildings. All warehouses and hangars have a construction value of 30. Intersphere players may only look under the building at the token after it has been destroyed. When a, a red token building is destroyed, it explodes with a 2-inch uh, area of effect from the edge of the building for 50 points of damage in 5-point groupings. Adjacent buildings within the area of effect will take 10 points of damage. All right, so that covers all the different games that you'll be playing during the day. So now we're going to get into what do you do with these support points that you're winning in rounds one and two. So support points are cumulative. They do not go away at the end of each round. So you can choose to spend your support points that you earn in round one in round one, or you can wait until the end of round two and use that cumul cumulative pile of support points to repair what you need for the, for the end game. So we're going to run through really quick how those support points are used. To repair a mech's armor equals the tonnage of the mech in support points. So, for example, if it's a 20-ton wasp, it costs 20 points to repair the armor. Now, that doesn't matter if it's one point of armor or 50 points of armor. Uh, for internal structure, uh, it is tonnage times two. So... If you need to repair the internal structure of a wasp, it's going to cost you 40 points. So to re fully repair a mech like the wasp, it's going to cost you 60 points. That's 20 points for the armor, 40 points for the internal structure. In the event you don't want to do a holistic repair of your mech, you can repair specific items. So uh, for weapons repairs, we're classifying them as small, medium, and large weapons. And it will cost three points to repair a small, six points to repair a medium, nine points to repair a large weapon. Now that is repair slash replace. So whether it has two, two criticals of it that are hit, that's fine. Your techs are ripping out that weapon. They're putting a new one in. That's what it's going to cost you. Uh, for engine and gyro hits, these are 10 points per critical slot. So if you've taken two engine hits, it's going to cost you 20 points. If you've taken a gyro hit, it'll cost you 10 points. If you've taken two gyro hits, it'll cost you 20. Every other component in your mech, from sensors to uh, cockpits to jump jets to heat sinks, are going to cost you 5 points per component. Uh, that does apply to uh, double heat sinks, where the inner sphere take up three slots, the clan takes, you, takes up two. It's 5 points for that individual component. Uh, rearm ammunition, you will be tracking your ammunition throughout the day, so you will at some point need to restock your mechs, and that's going to cost you 5 points per ton. Uh, new mech warriors, so let's say your stinger took a golden BB to the face, and it killed your pilot. Uh, that is going to cost you 30 SP for the new mech warrior. Now that mech warrior is going to be a 4-5, and it's not going to change the battle value of that mech. So, in order to put a new mech warrior into a mech, you have to repair the internal structure of the head. So whether that means you're repairing the individual components of the head, or you repair the entire 
the entire internal structure, some form or fashion, that cockpit has to be repaired before you can throw a new pilot in it. It's your choice whether you hose it out beforehand or not. Uh, for new battle armor pilots, since battle armors only are recorded in armor, you have to repair the armor on the battle armor, and then you have to replace the pilot. The new pilot for a battle armor is going to cost you 10 support points. Uh, infantry, if you choose to bring it, can't be repaired. If your infantry flunkies get uh, crunched, that's it. They're, they're done. Uh, injured mech warriors at the end of each game, all mech warriors will heal one point of damage. So some damage that your mech warrior takes, if they take multiple shots to the head or they fall over a lot of times, will carry over. But they will heal one at the end of each round. So if you take one hit at the end of round one, that one hit will be healed. If you take two hits at the end of round one, one point will be healed and they will still have one remaining to follow them into the next round or it will be healed at the end of round two. Uh, there are several uh, notes in the event document, so please look them over. It, especially with the weapon repair size, it gives you some examples of specific uh, weapons and where they fall in the size charts. And now it brings us to the fun part, which is going to be prizes. So as most of you have seen on the Facebook page, uh, we have posted the pictures of the Hero of the Inner Sphere and the Hero of the Clan mechs. Those are going to be the Commander mechs, which will be the prize for the most battle value destroyed during the day by the Inner Sphere player or a Clan player. Uh, please reach out and thank Alex Darst and Jack for painting these mechs. They did it on their own personal time for everyone to enjoy. Uh, Headhunter. If you kill a enemy commander, you will get one official mini out of the prize pool. Uh, player participation, every player will walk away with one official mini. Uh, clan or IS, depending on availability. That will go based on the amount of BV each player has destroyed. So person with the highest BV, they get to pick first. Down to the lowest BV, they get to pick last. Uh, best painted force will get a miniature and player's choice. We'll get a miniature. Now, player's choice is a very subjective term. It is going to be a vote at the end of the day of who you think is the best player. Whether that means to you they played the best game, they're the best sportsman or sportswoman, then cool. You will pick who you want to receive that prize. And then all remaining prizes that we have will be randomly drawn by the youngest player in attendance, and we'll go from there. So a lot of the questions that we have been asked has been what is hexless battletech hexless battletech is a old set of rules called the miniature rules from the old fan pro days the long and short of it is it is a two inch to one conversion for battletech so uh four inches of mp equals eight inches of movement on the on the board uh, the only change that we have made to this for this event is that a hex face will only cost you one MP, so two inches, instead of the way the rules are written, which is it would cost you two MP to move a hex face. Now, you don't have to move a full hex face. You can move partial hex faces, but that partial hex face counts as a full hex face movement. So if you want to move just a quarter hex face to get that right angle, that you want to move in, it still costs you two inches. And that will bring us into the questions that we have been asked on the 
on the Discord. So let's jump right into that. So probably the most complicated question we were asked uh, prior to this event was how is a swarm attack from elementals or infantry handled once the battle mech or vehicle has uh, knocked those battle armor or infantry off or they have done a swerving maneuver to get the swarming battle armor and infantry off. So what we decided to do was because stacking rules are a little odd in the miniature rules, uh, once the swarm attack is defeated, the swarming unit will be displaced. They will be displaced in a manner that the owner of the unit will roll a single d6 and they will place the unit in base-to-base -base contact with the, the unit that they were swarming and they will start with the forward-facing hex face as the number one going clockwise around to six. Okay, second question we were asked was uh, painting requirements. There are no painting requirements for this event. So we would love to see your painted minis. We hope you bring your painted minis, but it is not a requirement to attend. Uh, if you are bringing just your you know blank plastic minis, uh, pick up a, a dry erase marker and mark them somehow so that you know which ones are yours so that they don't get mixed up during the day. Uh, the next question we had was from Rick, and that was, how do we track the mechs? So each player is going to be required to track damage on their mechs throughout the day, and this is going to require marking and erasing uh, damage uh, as you take damage and repair damage. Uh, there are digital solutions out there. Uh, it's on each player to make sure that they are tracking everything appropriately and that they're not losing track. So we recommend paper. Uh, putting your record sheets inside of a uh, sheet protector and using a wet erase marker because wet erase uh, just lasts better. Dry erase, if you mark on your sheet and you accidentally brush it, it, it brushes off. So please bring wet erase markers and use those. We'll try to have some on hand for people to use if they need to. I will say, though, I did play a game with Rick today and he did use the digital Fletch's sheets. Uh, for his record keeping um, and that was able to carry over just fine because once he puts in once an individual puts in their entire 12,000 BV list into Fletch's um, it's it's all maintained right there on that one tab uh, the only issue is that pro I mean maybe if you accidentally close the tab I'm I'm not sure how that then would work so just be mindful of that if you're using a digital product for record keeping. Uh, but I would recommend paper record sheets. All right. The other, another question that we had was how is combat going to be resolved? Uh, are we going to enforce the rules as written in the total warfare manual, or are we going to be looking at it more of an alpha strike? Uh, we are not going to dictate how that's going to be done. So each player, when you, get to the table, uh, talk to your opponent about how you want to resolve combat, and please go forward with it that way. If there is some sort of conflict, uh, we will default to the standard uh, Total Warfare rules. So we encourage everyone to come out to have a really good time and to play the game they want to play, but it's got to be you know, agreed on at the table. 
what happens when all the objectives are destroyed, but there are still units on the table? In the event that all the objectives are destroyed, the time limit is the end of the game. So you have to either surrender, keep fighting, or time runs out, or exit the board. Those are your options. The objectives are important, but the battle is the, the, battle is the key. Uh, we do encourage players to exercise the, the concessions and use that mechanic in the game to end a game if you don't see any, any way to positively affect the rest of the time remaining. Because remember, you do have to you know, protect your forces and you have to be able to finish the, finish the fight at the end of the day. However, say my opponent, opponent destroyed all the objectives, the game's not over because the time's not expired. Now I'm just trying to do as much damage to them as possible to force them to spend SP points for repair. Let's engage. Get to the edge of the board. Quickly. Now remember, if an Intersphere player requests Hajira, the clan player has to accept it. A, cl- a Intersphere player does not have to accept it. Yeah, this is 3057, not 3151 with the Mongo Doctrine. Um, and then <laughs> I think the next question uh, that I see is, um, okay, so I scored all the objective points, but I was wiped out by my opponent. So who actually won this scenario? Is it me since I scored all the objective points? Or is it my opponent yes. because, well, he wiped me off the board? The objective points are what determine who wins. Only in the event of a tie for objective points does battle value come into it. So that does lead us into another question of uh, the Chaos Campaign was the basis of this. And in the Chaos Campaign, if a cord, if a mech is cored, it can't be repaired. That is not the case in our game. If a mech is cored, you can still repair it. You just have to spend all the points to do it. So no matter what, you can double your tonnage for the structure repair. No matter if it was cord, engine explosion, what have you. Yep, you can bring it back. A 50-tonner can be brought back structure-wise with 100 SP and then an additional 50 for its armor. Correct. Schwing. All right, I think that finishes up the uh, the questions, and we hope everybody has enjoyed listening to this. The document will be available on the valhalla club discord as well as on the colorado battletech discord and the colorado battletech facebook event post so many places we're looking forward to seeing everybody this saturday uh drive safe it's going to be a cold day Uh, right now it looks like the temperatures are going to be in the teens to lower 20s so dress warm and we'll see you guys there Oh, they'll get warm, all right, because we're using full classic record sheets where we are tracking heat. Heat levels are going to get up there. We're going to be rolling for ammo, explosion avoidance, shutdown avoidance. Uh, It's going to be a grand old time. If you can't fry bacon on your command console, you are not fighting correctly. Heat management is the (laughs) it is the second aspect of of classic. It is it is the game within a game. How much heat? can i deal with that's why you bring all energy mechs and you don't even worry about ammo explosions well they're shut down which is a minus four but okay whatever Uh, (laughs) you only have to worry about that when you get up to plus 30 that's fair um well 
No, I was at uh, I was at twenty two heat today. Plus twenty six when you have to roll a ten. Yeah, I was at twenty two today and I had to roll an eight up. Um, I succeeded, but my opponent did not. Uh, unfortunately, though, before he needed that, he needed a five up, four up to avoid an ammo explosion, and he failed, so he exploded. Ace is your friend in this. I know a lot of you guys out there love thirty twenty five. Case is your friend. In a test game against Mike, I had three ammo explosions. Oh, Rick today had Case. Uh, the unfortunate part was the ammo was stored in a torso, and an XL engine has three crit locations in the torso, and so an inner sphere. He still, XL he still died. <laughs> but it was a great game. It was a great game. And quick note for individuals that are looking to print out their record sheets. Um, I know not necessarily everyone is familiar with combined arms in uh, Classic, let alone where to obtain some of those record sheets. Uh, I would highly recommend downloading the Mega Mech uh, program suite, which includes the Mega Mech Lab. Once you're in Mega Mech Lab, you can open um, a pre pre-configured unit, whether that's uh, an awesome eight Q, an LRM carrier, an SRM carrier, thirty fifty five upgrade. Uh, there's a myriad of units, uh, just about all, all of them. Uh, but you can open uh, those units in Mega Mech Lab, and then you can print those record sheets. Uh, you can convert it, export it to a PDF, and then print it from there. But what I'm ultimately getting to here is when you're in Mega Mech Lab, you're going to hit the File button, scroll down to Configuration, open that, and then it's going to open the Configuration window. You're going to click on the Printing tab. At the bottom of that little window, uh, you're going to see a drop-down for where it says hexes. Uh, once you click that drop-down, you can then find hexes, inches, or centimeters. Obviously, using the miniature's rules, hexless rules, we're going to be using inches. Uh, the scale factor you want to leave at the default of 2, and all that means is that the 1 MP will be converted into 2 inches. Um, and so, yeah... I also recommend turning on the reference tables. Uh, so when you print off your individual record sheets, it's going to have the reference tables for each individual unit. So if you have a cluster munition in the bottom right corner, you're going to have a cluster table for the weapons that are available to that specific unit. It's going to have the hit location tables for the left, center, rear, and right um, uh, damage locations. Um the color is always a nice thing, but not necessary by any means. Um, but yeah, definitely go into your configurations for uh, within the print capabilities for Mega Mech Lab and adjust to shooter preference. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, um, convert it to inches and turn on the reference tables, and that will help you tremendously on game day because it's just a lot easier to look at a sheet and look at its movement profile where it says movement 8 inches, run uh, 12 inches, jump 8 inches, instead of being like movement f um, 4, 6, 4, and then you, I mean, obviously that's, 
obviously that's relatively easy. Like four times two is eight. So, okay, I'm removing eight inches. Jump six. So now I'm going to be jumping 12 inches. Uh, but what's also, I think what's more important is the 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 damage, the weapon ranges, uh, because each individual weapon has its own range. Having its range in inches already listed out on the uh, classic rec, uh, classic sheet, um, it's it's just tremendously helpful. Um, and it also will even show in your 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 target movement modifier. If you moved zero to five inches, you're getting a plus zero TMM. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. It's just a really good resource. So download Megamech, open Megamech Lab, load existing unit, find the units you want to use in your uh, 12,000 BV list, and print them using those print configurations. Megamech Lab does not adjust battle value you, uh, based on pilot gunnery skills. It just shows it the BV based on the default 4.5 pilot gunnery. So you're going to export those to PDF and then using the master unit list, you're going to adjust your pilot gunnery skills and then you're going to pencil those, pin those in, um, sharpie those in, what have you, um, onto the sheets for, for game day. But um, that, is a, that is the resource you want to use if you don't have it already. All right, and that should finish out for our mid-month special episode. Uh, this is the road to war for the Battle of Black Earth. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us today in the Valhalla Club. Special thanks to our sponsor, Ares Games and Miniatures. Ares is the premier online retailer for all your Battletech needs. You can contact us at the Valhalla Club at Outlook.com. If you are in Colorado, please join your local community group on Facebook and Discord. If you are able to help support your local Colorado Battletech community, subscribe on Patreon to Colorado Battletech. This Patreon account is used to supply prize support for local events and assist in venue costs. Links for the Valhalla Club Discord, the Colorado Battletech Patreon, and Facebook group are in the show notes. Until next time, mech fans. Mech fans.